0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch into to what I was going to talk about this morning. Um, imagine with me, if you can, that, that you invite somebody to live in your house. And um, after a couple of days, you notice that things are going missing. So some money disappears from your purse. Uh, your phone disappears. Your, uh, some jewelry that you left lying around also disappears. And you go and look uh, in the person's room and you find that they have taken it and they've hidden it in their room. Uh, and you realise that they've been stealing from you. Uh, if you had that, um, how, would, how might we react in a situation like that? Probably most of us would kick that person out of the house. We would say, I'm not going to live with somebody who is stealing from me. You need to leave. What I want to suggest today is that lots of us um, are living with a thief. Living with um, not someone necessarily, but a behaviour that we engage in that is actually robbing us, that is actually stealing from us. And that behavior is comparison. It's the way that so many of us, and I'm definitely in this category, uh, can spend our time comparing our lives to other people's lives. And comparison has been called the thief of joy. It robs us of our joy. I um, still remember, even it was ages ago now, this time when I was coming back from... um, Just a really great day. It had just been a a, a kind of just a really satisfying day. And I was walking home feeling very content. And then I got home and I I was lying on my sofa. And I did what I often do uh, when I've just got home from work. I got out my phone and I just started looking at social media. And I remember on this occasion, I was just scrolling through Twitter. And I did that for about 15 minutes. And um, what, what began to happen, I remember, is as I just looked at... I was pretty content with my day. I was pretty satisfied. But as I just looked at what everybody else was saying they'd been doing, the photos they were posting and all of that stuff, what I could feel is that all of my satisfaction, all of my kind of pleasure in what had happened to me that day was just draining away. It was leaking out of me. And I ended up going to bed feeling really unhappy that night. And, um, and what, what comparison does, it, it's, it's a bit like that. It's like, how many of us have been happy with our lives maybe with our house until we see somebody else's house, or or happy with our car until we see a car that somebody else has, or happy with the grades that we got until we hear about the grades somebody else gets. And it's kind of a lose-lose situation because we don't get what they have, but what we do do is lose all the joy in the thing that we do have. Um, And people have been, we've been comparing ourselves to one another really as long as people have been around, but But in our culture, it's like comparison has gone mental. It's on steroids. Um, Our grandparents would would have compared their lives and maybe the things they had to the Joneses who lived around the corner, who had an extra bedroom and a slightly newer car. But we compare ourselves to the Kardashians who live in mansions and fly around on private jets. Um, Our grandparents, when they went to work, they would compare themselves to the person at the next desk but those of us who are on LinkedIn, we compare our resumes to the 800 million other people who are also on LinkedIn. Our grandparents would compare their lives to the lives of the small group of friends that they, you know, that they did the journey with. And, uh, and we, on the other hand, compare our lives through the window of Instagram to a slightly larger circle of about a billion people we've never met who all seem to be living their best life. And we know as we do that, because we know enough about social media to understand this, that people are putting filters on their photos. We understand that they are maybe showing us the highlights of their lives and that what we're doing is comparing our actual face to their filtered face and our behind-the-scenes to their highlight video. So we know that that's what's going on, and yet the amount of time we spend doing it even though we're aware that that's what's happening, it still affects us. So grandma and granddad, they might bump into somebody every now and then and compare their lives in that moment, but we're literally sitting on the toilet, scrolling through other people's lives for ages and ages and ages. And sooner or later, it begins to affect us. And it robs us of our joy. And uh, Jesus, he, um, he speaks to this tendency in the human heart. And uh, he has some, some things to say that as I've kind of pondered them, if I'm really honest, I've found them at times a little uncomfortable. Um, part of it wishes he wasn't saying it. But, but actually, he says it because they're incredibly freeing. And uh, he wants to set us free from the trap that we find ourselves falling into time and again. So the way that he communicates this, as so often with Jesus, is he does it through a story. Uh, I'm going to read the story to you. It's in Matthew chapter 20. I'll start reading from verse 1. It says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So there's a guy who owns a vineyard. He's going to go and pay some people to come work in it. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So denarius is an average day's wage. Let's call that about 70 pounds. He agrees to pay them 70 pounds for the day, and he sends this person off six o'clock in the morning to work in the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired. So that's start with the ones that have just done one hour, the ones I employed at five o'clock. Start with those guys. And then going on to the first, the workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. so they received the full 70 pounds, a full day's wage. So when those who were hired fir- when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, as you would. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they had received it, they began to grumble against the landowner, those who were hired. Uh, you know, last, worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day? But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one, I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous?' So the last will be first, and the first will be last. One of the things that is just, he's a genius, Jesus, with his stories. Because what he, what he does is it's like he reels us in and then sucker punches our souls. And so what he wants to do is, is get us to identify with almost the wrong person in the story, the grumbling workers. And uh, if you really think about the story, of course, that's who we're going to identify with. So imagine someone opens a cafe up round the corner from your house and they 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 offer you a job in there as a waiter or a waitress and £70 a day, cash in hand, they say. And you're all right, all right then. So you have to start the shift at 6 a.m. You drag yourself out of bed at five and you manage to roll in kind of bleary-eyed at 6 a.m. to start the work. And from the moment you walk into the cafe, it's go go go. You know you're setting up for the first people who are going to be arriving for breakfast. Then you're serving them, and you're rushed off your feet all day. And people, are, uh, some people are grateful, but a lot of people don't. You know, are mean and they don't tip you. And you're, and then like people come in with little kids, like my family, and your heart sinks because you know there's just going to be bits of crusty mushed up stuff all over the floor. They'll leave it like a bomb site, and you're there on your hands and knees wiping it all up. And you spend a whole day doing this, and. Then the final hour of the workday, five o'clock arrives, and some other person who's on the team just kind of rolls in, and they sort of like you know they wipe a table or two, and they carry a teacup into the kitchen, and they sort of look like they're doing something, but you know they're not. And then that's the end of the day. And then the person that owns the cafe says, "All right, I'm going to pay you your wages." what we agreed, so they get the person who's coming at five o'clock over, and they say, I'm going to give you 70 pounds, and they do that, and at that point, we'd probably be quite excited, wouldn't we, because we'd be thinking, okay, they've done one hour, and they got paid 70 pounds, so I've just done 12 hours, I'm going to be getting a lot more than that, right, you're suddenly excited about how much you're going to get paid, and then the person says, okay, here's your wages, 70 pounds, how are you going to feel In that moment. I don't know about you, but for me, I would feel I'd feel pretty angry. I'd feel this this sense of injustice sort of rising up within me. And you know, the main way I would sum it up would be it's just not fair. And what Jesus is 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 doing is he's trying to draw that emotion out of us because when we compare our lives to somebody else's, and, and it seems to us they have it so easy. And why is God blessing them in that way? And I'm working just as hard, if not hard, and it doesn't seem to come together for me. And how come they've got that? And that's all I've ever wanted, but I can't seem to have that. And what rises up in us when we compare is this feeling of injustice. And what we say, maybe we don't articulate this, but what we can feel deep inside is it's just not fair. Why don't I get that? I deserve that. They don't deserve that. Why? It's not fair. And Jesus, he draws us in. He brings up all those emotions that we feel to the surface. And then through the story, once we're sitting in that place of it's really not fair, he asks us three questions. And he does it through the landowner who represents God, speaking to the grumbling worker who represents us. And uh, the questions, they're, they're, they're not particularly comfortable to hear but they are freeing. So here's question number one, for us to allow God to ask us when we find ourselves comparing with somebody else and feeling like it's not fair. Here's the first question that God asks us. Didn't we have a deal? The way that uh, it comes is in verse 13. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius 70 pounds. Didn't we shake hands at 6 a.m. this morning and we agreed your wages? I'm not being unfair to you. And you see, the genius of this question is he doesn't even engage with what's happening with the other guy who's getting, you know, the 70 pounds for an hour. He doesn't even talk about the other guy. It's just, well, stop looking at the other guy. You come back and look at me. Let's look at me for a second. Didn't we agree something? And what comparison does, when we, what we do when we compare is we take our eyes off of God and we put them onto somebody else. And that's where our gaze goes. And there's lots of people in the Bible that make this mistake just like we do. And probably the best example of that is a guy called King Saul, who you can read about in 1 Samuel. Saul had a lot going for him. He was a head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. He was the king, the first king, and he did pretty well. But then he started to make mistakes. And um, what happened is a new kid came on the scene, a young guy called David. And David started to do really well at stuff. And there's this one particular moment where David and Saul, they go out to fight a battle and they win. And they come back. And as they're coming back to the town, the ladies of the town go out to greet them. And as they go out to greet them, they're dancing and they're singing. And they sing this song. And the, song, the lyrics of the song are, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul gets really angry when he hears that. And I can sympathize with that. I mean, I can relate to that. It's, it's not that Saul in this moment is comparing himself to David. It's that he's being compared by other people to David, and he's coming up wanting. Have you ever had that, where like your parent or your boss or your spouse or whoever compares you to somebody else, and they're like, you're all right, but they're a lot better? It doesn't feel very nice, does it? <laughs> And um, I sympathize with Saul even more because not only are they comparing, but they've literally turned it into a West End production. It's like they've got a song. They've got a dance. It's like you've killed thousands, but he's killed tens of thousands. So Saul just is really riled by this. And then what we read next is um, just this, this fascinating little line. It says, from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. He just looked at David all the time to see what David was doing. Now, when we compare, and particularly those people that we feel a little bit of resentment towards, I don't know if you can imagine someone like that, but, but what we do is we just keep our eyes on them. We give them more attention. We look at what they post and we look at how their lives are going. And what this question does is it's like the Lord just says, hey, didn't we have a deal? Stop looking at them. Did we have a deal? What were the wages that we agreed, you and I? Remember, I think what the the deal was, was you give me your imperfect, broken life. And in exchange, I will give you my perfect son. And, you know... As I've pondered this, there are things I'm longing for God to do in my life I haven't seen yet, but, but he's, he's, that's the exchange he's already made. That's what he's done. I've given you what I promised. Didn't we have, I think you'll find I've been faithful to the terms of the deal. Look at me. Here's the second question that uh, we can allow God to ask us as we compare ourselves to the person next door. It's this. God says, Can't I bless who I choose? And the way that it's asked in the passage is, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Do you see how these are uncomfortable questions? Uh, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And When God asks us questions like this through the scripture, I don't think he's not trying to condemn us. He's just trying to help us to see what's going on inside of our hearts sometimes. And so I imagine him saying to me, Andy, do I need your approval to bless somebody else? And my honest answer is, it would be nice if you at least checked with me, (laughs) all right? Because I clearly know some things about these people that you must not know, right? If you really knew what this guy was like, there is no way you'd be giving him that opportunity. If you really understood how vindictive and cruel she can be, absolutely no way would you give her that blessing, so what I wonder is maybe you could use me as a sounding board when you're considering giving a blessing to somebody. Let's have a conversation about that first. And uh, the truth is, uh, at a gut level, lots of us think that God should only bless certain people. And we have a list of who those people are. Number one, me. <laughs> Number two, the people I like, right? That's, that's who's on the list. And, uh, and, and that's, just, that's just so not how mercy works. The whole point of mercy is not that it's given to the deserving, but the undeserving. And Jesus just blows the hinges off the door of our understanding of mercy in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about the love of God. And what he does is he compares the love of God to the weather and how the weather does not discriminate. You know, that we all get the same weather. So it doesn't matter what football team you support or how bad your week has been or how well behaved you are. If it's sunny, it's sunny for you. You know, he says, the sun shines on the good and the bad. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. So it is with the love of God. Put another way, we can end up, and I know I've done this, taking this story a bit too literally and thinking it really is all about a wage. That these blessings are things we earn, and the truth is this: it's always gift. It's all gift. Um, you know, even the guy that goes to work at six a.m. This is a gift for him that he doesn't deserve this. He's just standing around like everybody else is. It just so happens that he's found first by the vineyard owner who puts him to work and gives him stuff to do. And that's a gift to him. He was there in his lostness. And then the vineyard owner came and found him and gave him a role for sure. But it was a gift. It was a grace. None of us deserve it. It's always gift. And when... (laughs) You know, when I feel like God asks me that question, don't I have a right to bless who I choose? I feel like there's a little subtext there when he says it, which is, and by the way, isn't that how you got in, Andy? Isn't that how you made it in? So, with these questions, I picture Jesus a little like a a football player. And, uh, you know, he kicks the ball with his right foot, which is, didn't we have a deal? And he kicks it with his left foot, which is, can't I bless who I choose? And then with this final kick, it's like he smashes it into the back of the net. Because here's the final question that comes our way when we compare ourselves to somebody else. It's this. Are you jealous? Are you envious? The way that it comes in the text is, are you envious because I am generous? Not me, Lord. No, 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 no. That's not what's going on here. I can assure you that's not what's going on. Oh, maybe that is what's going on. Ouch. Um, you know, I wish you hadn't pointed that out to me. And, and, uh, and it is so hard because there are people where it's like their lives, their lives just seem so easy, don't they? And ours just feel at times so hard. And they seem to have all this stuff that we long for. And it's so painful, and it's so confusing. But also, when we live in that place, we end up slaves. And he wants us to live free from that. And what can help when we find ourselves in this, in this trap is just to step back and reflect for a moment. And um, let me put it like this. Imagine Tesco announced that you know, as the economy has changed, they're going to change their business model. And they're now going to start to buy things from us as well as sell things to us. And we hear this on the news. And then we're driving home after church and we see a new Tesco billboard that's gone up near our house. And what it says on the billboard is, we will buy from you all your friends and all your family for 100 million pounds. Tesco, every little helps. <laughs> and we think, oh, okay, I could sell all of my you know, friends and family and get 100 million pounds. That is a little bit tempting. But I imagine most of us, all of us actually, would say, no, can't do that. And then let's say we go for the drive the next day and there's a different billboard and it says, in exchange for all of your friends and all of your family, we will make you the most powerful person in the world. And we think about it, but again, we probably would decide, no. And then we go somewhere else, and this time it's like, we'll make you the most famous one, or we'll make you the most beautiful one, or whatever it is. But, but my bet is that they could offer us money and fame and you know, celebrity and influence and power and all the other stuff, and probably every single one of us would say, no thanks, I'd rather have my friends and my family. Because for all the glitz and all the glamour and all the stuff that sparkles across the top of social media and the world that we're a part of, we do understand at a deep level, that really what matters is relationship. We do know that deep down inside. It's relationship that makes the difference. And what we have when we come to know him is we've come into the most astonishing relationship we can possibly imagine. And sometimes what happens when our eyes are on other people and we're allowing ourselves to feel a little bit jealous is, what's happened is we've just forgotten what we've got. Like we've missed for a moment what we're holding in our hands. It reminds me of this, this story I came across in the news a couple of years ago now. Uh, it was this elderly French lady who, um, it's one of these stories where she'd had, she had a painting hanging in her house. She had it above the oven in her little house. Um, for years and years and years, decades and decades, and didn't think it was worth much. And then one day she decided she was going to get it valued. And so um, it's a bit like those kind of Antiques Roadshow programs, but except the value of the painting wasn't 200 pounds, which is what it usually is on Antiques Roadshow. It wasn't even 20,000 pounds, and that's when Antiques Roadshow gets very excited. It was, would you believe it, this little painting she had above the oven, worth 20 million pounds. And... I kind of imagine her, you know, I couldn't help when I heard that story just thinking about her, day after day after day, going to her oven, probably not even looking at this painting, just stirring her soup, (laughs) kind of wishing her life was a little bit different, and not realizing that right in front of her face was something worth 20 million. It was sitting there all along. How much would you want to go back in time and shout at her, get it valued now, Right? And sometimes I feel like I want to shout the same thing at myself. When I catch myself looking at other people's lives and wishing I had that, don't you realize, Andy, what is right in front of your face? Get it valued now. And it isn't a what, it's a who. Don't you see who you have? Have you forgotten who has given himself to you? God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we get to wake up every day and say, Father, you're here. Knowing he knit us together in the womb and that when we were born, he wrote our name on the palm of his hand. That we are so precious to him, he knows every hair on our heads and he'll speak like he did, a naturally supernatural, right into our lives when we need him to. That we have a savior who could have stayed at a distance, but instead what he did is he came oh so close. And that he loves us in our worst moments. And that when we fall down, he doesn't condemn us. He kneels down beside us and he lifts us to our feet and sets us back on the path again. And he does it with kindness and joy. That we have the Holy Spirit. How many people wake up around our world feeling alone? Or wondering, is there a God out there? And we get to wake up every single day knowing he lives inside of us that there's nowhere we can go where he is not, that we've come to know God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have that valued for a moment. And it's not to say these things that we long for, they're unimportant or to be dismissive of them. You know, we do need sometimes to have a bigger house. It is important sometimes to to be recognized in our work and all that other, relationships, they are important parts of life. So it's not to be dismissive of those things, but it is to say we, we sometimes can do with reminding ourselves of the concrete truth of our salvation and who we have in him. What comparison does is it doesn't just steal our joy, it steals our strength because the joy of the Lord is our strength and rejoicing in him is how we keep going. And so when you find yourselves later today comparing with somebody else and we'll probably all do it, I would bet by the time we go to bed, if we can in that moment catch ourselves doing it and just remind ourselves that what this does is it robs me of my joy and it robs me of my strength. And then ask ourselves the question, does God satisfy me? And the answer to that sometimes will be, yes, he does. And the answer to that other times will be, if I'm honest, no, he doesn't. What do I need to do? I need to come back to see him again and to remember him again and to remind myself of who he is. And in a moment like that, let's ask God to, to speak to us these questions. Number one, didn't we have a deal Stop looking at them. Look at me. Didn't we have a deal? Haven't I been faithful to that? I've given you myself. Number two, can't I bless who I choose? It's all a gift. And number three, are you jealous, Andy? Are you jealous? You've got me, you Muppet. (laughs) To who are you going to compare me? You've got me. I'm yours. Always, and forever.